Now, drug addicts, Wall Street bankers, homosexual activists, and evangelical Christians all have something in common. You might think, well, not much. But they all have something in common. They all want to enjoy life. We all want to enjoy life. Moms and murderers, dads and doctors, children, grandparents, thieves, kings, queens, presidents, and the homeless all want to be content. We all want to experience fulfillment and happiness in life. We, we all want joy. We want satisfaction. So we all have something in common, and it's part of the human experience for us to desire those things. Now, in fact, our country, we're blessed to be a part of a country that says that we have freedoms in this country uh, to pursue happiness in uh, the, the different ways in which we desire to do it. And so in this country, we say that freedom exists so that people can pursue their own happiness in their own way. Now, some pursue it by storing up treasures and possessions and getting uh, as much stuff as possible. That's how they pursue happiness. Now, others pursue their own happiness by um, becoming popular or increasing their influence or their power or their prestige, right? And then still others will look to religion or education in the hopes that they will find meaning and purpose in life. But I want us to turn to 1 John chapter 1, because I think in this sermon series that we're going to be starting uh, from the, the book of 1 John, the letter that he wrote, uh, we're going to entitle this series, Walking in the Light. I think we're going to find what does God have to say about the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of joy. How do we find fulfillment and contentment in life? Now, this is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, as we turn to 1 John, we're reading from this man, this individual. He was the brother of James and the son of Zebedee that we read about in the Gospels. Uh, he was one of the fishermen who left his nets to follow Jesus. So this is John, one of Jesus' first and closest disciples. He's the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John which was the life and, and ministry of Jesus and, and, and chronicles his, his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's in the Gospel of John. But he also wrote the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. So this is the same John who wrote the Gospel, the, the letters, and the, the Apocalypse, the, the book of Revelation. Something that was surprising to me as I researched 1 John and, and, and thought about the author and, and certain things about him, one of the thing that, things that I discovered was that John was the third most prolific author of the New Testament. Now Luke, surprisingly, how many of you thought it would be Paul? Paul wrote the, the largest number of books or letters, but Luke gets first place for a number of words. Luke only wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, but he wrote almost 38,000 words, whereas Paul came in second at about 32,000 words, and John is not far behind Paul, having written about 28,000 words. Uh, the reason I'm telling you that is not to diminish the contributions of Luke and Paul, who wrote more. They, of course, knew Jesus uh, but they did not know Jesus in the flesh in the same way that John knew Jesus. And that's why I think this letter of John, 1 John, is going to be so significant for us as we think about not only is John the third most prolific author, but he of, of those authors, he was the closest to Jesus in the flesh. Someone who walked with Jesus and experienced life with Jesus. And so we can say a lot of great things about the other authors of the New Testament. We don't downplay their significance in, uh, in the, the, the scriptures that we have. This is inspired by God, so we thank God for, for Luke. In fact, you know, we, we admire Luke 
for his ability to set down an, an accurate, uh, uh, orderly account of the life of Jesus. You know, Luke was a physician. He was trained. He was well-educated. And so we admire him for putting down uh, an orderly account of the gospel of Luke and then of the book of Acts. And, and we admire Paul. Um, you know, he was also very well-educated. Paul was able to, you know, his, his prolific letter writing and his ability to present clear doctrine and uh, concise arguments defending the, the faith, we admire Paul for that. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. And so again, he was very well trained, and uh, especially in the Jewish scriptures. And so we, we look at Luke and we admire Paul, but, but John wasn't a physician or a Pharisee. He was a fisherman. So, so what can we learn from a fisherman? What can we learn from John? Well, in Acts 4.13, other people were equally as shocked about what could be learned from John. Because in Acts, 14, uh, Acts 4, verse 13, it says, When they observed, the people observed, the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is why we're studying John. And again, not to diminish all the others, there's, there's reasons why we have a, a, a variety of perspectives, but what gets me most excited about starting this letter from John is because we're going to learn from someone who, though he was uneducated as a physician, though he was not a Pharisee and educated in the scriptures, he had been with Jesus. He got a walking, talking seminary education with the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He, he spent time with Jesus in the flesh. And so we want to learn from John about his relationship with Jesus. What was the source of joy and happiness for John? How did he experience fulfillment and significance in light of knowing Jesus? See, the pursuit of happiness is a human experience, but the pursuit of happiness needs to lead us to Jesus. Otherwise, it will never be fulfilling. You will never be satisfied in life if your pursuit of happiness doesn't lead you to the person and, and to the work and to the, uh, and to the relationship with Jesus. We will find ultimate satisfaction in our union with Jesus and with his family. I love what J. Ramsey Michaels says about John, the author of this letter. He said, more than any other New Testament writer, John offers the material for a total picture of what the Christian revelation means. Only John, only he has given us both a gospel and a set of teaching epistles in addition to the prophecy of revelation. Highly unique in the New Testament. That he gave us a gospel and epistles and the book of Revelation. And so J. Ramsey Michael says, Thus we can gain from him not only a profound and impressive portrait of Jesus Christ and, and of Jesus of Nazareth, but an almost full-orbed view of the Christian life. And so today we are starting a new series in the letter of 1 John that I believe will reveal to us the source of joy, the source of eternal happiness, the source of enduring love that every human in this room and every human outside of this room craves. So if you would, read with me. Listen as I read 1 John 1, 1 through 7. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it 
and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Isn't that a great start? What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Thank you, John. So that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. This opening to the gospel, uh, uh, to the letter of First John, um, I want to share four different facets of these seven verses. I want to talk about our foundation uh, for life, our foundation for, for happiness, our foundation for, for our faith. And then I want to talk about our motivation. Uh, what gets us motivated to, uh, to, to love and serve God? And then our declaration. And then finally, our evaluation. So our foundation. What is our foundation for life? What is our foundation what is the foundation for everything we seek in life? Well, what we find in the first two verses is the foundation that John sets forth. John, who had walked with Jesus. John, who had spent time with Jesus. John, who had learned from Jesus. He says, this is my foundation. I don't know if it's your foundation yet. In fact, as, as, as the one preaching this message, I can say, this is my foundation. Thank you. Thanks be to God. But I wonder, is this your foundation? And so the foundation that, that John gives us in the first two verses, I, I want us to think and consider, is this your foundation for life and for existence? So we see in the first two verses that our foundation is the revelation of the incarnate Christ. It's the revelation of the incarnate Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, um, commentators, uh, many of, you know, most of whom, if not all of whom, are much smarter and wiser than me, much more studied. And they look at this word and they say, you know, if, if we were just talking about the person of Jesus, John might have started with who? Who we have seen, who we who was from the beginning. But because John starts with the word what, we're talking about the person and work of Christ. It's not just the person, but it's not just the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's also the presence of Jesus in the life of the believer. This is our foundation. It's what was from the beginning, which by the way echoes the words of John's gospel, not this. First John, this letter of John, but the gospel of John starts similarly when it says in John 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And, and by the way, even John's gospel and the letter of 1 John, the, the opening words, they echo not only John's gospel, but also the opening words of the Bible. Where in uh, Genesis 1-1 it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And what John gets to in the gospel is he shows us the person and work of Jesus that he is the one who was there at creation who spoke these words into existence. That Jesus uh, was, was there at creation. That He was there in the beginning. And so in 
fast forwarding to 1 John now, where we're going to be spending several weeks, is he says, what was from the beginning? He's talking about Jesus. He's saying that Jesus was there in the beginning. And we don't know if John was necessarily referencing all the way back. Uh, of course, we do know from Scripture that Jesus was there at the beginning. Or if John is specifically referring to the beginning being the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, the incarnation. But what we do know is that the next few phrases indicate that who, Jesus, who John is talking about and what John has experienced is a person, someone in the flesh. He says, what we have heard. He's talking about what we have heard with our ears. He says, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have observed and have touched with our hands. And he says, concerning the word of life. John is alerting us to the fact that he has had an experience with a person. That John has spent time with a human, someone in the flesh, uh, that was truly, fully human. And so he's saying in verse 1, you know, he's, he's pointing us to the humanity of Jesus. But in a very dramatic way, he also alerts us in verse 2 that we're not just talking about a human Jesus. We're also talking about the deity of Jesus. He says that that life, talking about Jesus' life, uh, was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. In other words, Jesus, uh, John had an experience with Jesus, that he walked around with Jesus in the flesh. He saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. He observed all the things that Jesus did in the flesh, in his humanity. But he's saying that Jesus in the flesh was revealed to us because he has always ever been. He is eternal. He is the eternal life come incarnate in the flesh to dwell among us. Later in 1 John, in chapter 5, verse 20, John is going to say this. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The, the revelation that serves as our foundation for all of life, everything we need is wrapped up in the revelation of Jesus as the incarnate Lord, as, as, the, as being in the flesh, human, fully human, and fully divine. And this eternal life, we know that Jesus is eternal, not in the same sense that you and I might have eternal life with him, if we are joined to him, but it's a little different because, see, my eternal life starts when Jesus saves me, when the Holy Spirit regenerates my life. And so from that point in time into all of eternity, I have eternal life. But what John is saying here about Jesus is that Jesus gives us that eternal life. He's the only one who can give us that eternal life because he has always been. See, he doesn't start at a point in time 2,000 years ago in the, in, in the, uh, the nativity, in the, in the manger, when he was born in Bethlehem, and from that point on, he's eternal. No, he was always eternal in eternity past and will always be in the future. So Jesus is eternal. He is the eternal life, and the way he grants us eternal life is by dying the eternal word of life came in the flesh, died on a cross, a shameful and painful and excruciating death to be my substitute, to take my place, to take the crimes that I committed and place them on his shoulder to bear that burden himself. 
and to die on the cross, the eternal word of life, the eternal life, the only one who can offer us eternal fulfillment, died for his enemies. And he did so to bring us into a relationship with him, to have fellowship with him. And this is our foundation. I, I, I mean, later in verse 7, we're, we're going to get to this in a minute, but, but this really shows what Jesus did. It says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so our foundation is in the, the, the revelation of the incarnate Christ, that Jesus was really here in the flesh, that God came and dwelt among us. And that's what John says later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us, and we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John was an eyewitness of these things. John has something to say. Do you believe that John has something to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Do you think he has something to say to you and to me about life and about following Jesus and about union with Christ? Now, this means yes. You don't have to say it out loud, but, you know, just some knots and head bobs helps, you know, that, that really, that, that this should be our foundation. See, thieves and uh, kings and homeless and all the other categories I mentioned before, moms and dads and, and, and you know, people in the world, they're going to pursue happiness in all kinds of different ways. But we have the source of eternal life as the foundation for who we are in Christ. And if this was John's foundation, he's saying, I was an eyewitness. Then where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Do, do we have the same experience that John had with Jesus? No. We, we, we didn't touch him. We didn't see him with our eyes. We didn't hear him with our ears. But we have John. And thankfully, John recorded these things. That's what we move into next, is our motivation. Because we see John's purpose in writing these things is for you. It's for me. He says in verse 3 and 4, What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. So John is saying what we, the disciples, other people in, in the first century that, that saw Jesus and spent time with Jesus, he says what we have seen and heard. We also declare to you. This is a gift. This letter and, and, and really the entirety of the Bible is a gift to you that God is revealing his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, to us. And so what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So there's kind of two, two purposes here. So that you and I may also have fellowship with the original eyewitnesses and with all Christians of, of all time <laughs> and, and places. Um, because they had fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so now we may also have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And... John says, I'm writing these things so that our joy, he's talking about we eyewitnesses, our joy may be complete. Well, doesn't that sound selfish? D doesn't that sound like, oh, so you want your joy to be complete? What about our joy? Well, John is setting a precedent that if you want to experience the same kind of joy, then you will seek it in the same places that John experienced it. That John is saying, I have experienced life with Jesus, and I'm declaring it to you so that you and I can both have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And, of course, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete, but if you take this as your motivation, as your desire, 
that you would have fellowship with God and with Jesus and with, and with one another, with the family of Jesus, then your joy can be complete also. You know, this word fellowship shows up a number of times throughout Scripture. We, we, we know this term. It's the English term uh, that we use, and we kind of apply it to a lot of different things. It's, it's kind of watered-down meaning at this point. But, but the first time the, the, the term koinonia or fellowship shows up and is, is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says they devoted themselves, these new followers of Jesus, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, there's no definition there of fellowship, but a related term shows up a couple of verses later in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, where it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. That word in common is a related word to the word fellowship, and the idea that's coming out of the very first day of the church where this term fellowship originates and, and, and where it really becomes used um, is that, that, uh, that the people of God, the, the family of God, that they would have um, a common shared goal, a common shared purpose, and that they would even go on to say in Acts chapter 4, that same word shows up, where they would share with one another. Uh, so that their, their, their focus could be on Jesus and that they would share the needs and concerns of one another. They were, they were sharing in that, and that, that was a, a word for, and kind of a term for fellowship. Um, see, we are intended by God and intended by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we would have joyous companionship with Jesus and with Jesus' family so that we can experience enduring love and eternal life. That, that was, that was Jesus' plan. It was God's plan from eternity past is that you and I could have fellowship with him and with one another. Jesus said these words, again, going back to the Gospel of John, which, by the way, the Gospel of John is almost like required reading uh, for this sermon series and for understanding the letters of John and, and, and the book of Revelation. Uh, the Gospel of John is really the foundation of that, where he goes into the life and ministry of Jesus. And so I'm going to refer a lot to the Gospel of John. There, there are other Gospel writers. They'll, they'll come into this as well. But, but in John chapter 15, 10 through 14, it says, Jesus said, If you keep my, command, my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy, Jesus is talking about his joy, my joy, may be in you, and your joy may be complete. This is my command. All right, and now we're waiting for, okay, give me the instructions, give me the rules. Okay, Jesus, you want me to follow you, you want me to do your commands, what is it? Oh boy, you know, here come the instructions, what, what do we have to do? This is my command, love one another. As I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I love Jesus' rules. <laughs> all right? It, it's for our good. It's intended for us to experience all that life offers us. Uh, when I was younger... Not so much now, but when I was younger, I played a lot of basketball. And we played a lot of street ball, just uh, out there. Um, there was a hoop that didn't have a net. And it was the kind of playing where it was like uh, no blood, no foul. In other words, if you get elbowed in the nose, you just keep on playing. Where, whereas you would have gotten a whistle or, or, or you know, the, the ball would have uh, stopped in a, in a college game or an NBA game. But... But out there on the street, we were just like, okay, let's just play hard, play all day long, you know, just enjoy the game. But even then, there were still rules. And, and we needed those rules in order to play the game. We could not have fun if, if somebody just said all of a sudden, yeah, but, you know, uh, but I didn't need for the ball to go through the hoop in order for me to get seven points, you know. 
Like, oh, I, you know, I can pick the ball up and I can spin it around in my head. I don't have to dribble. What's that? What's the point of dribbling? That doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to carry it. I'm going to protect it and then come up as close to the goal and get my points. You know, it's just like randomly making up rules. That wouldn't help. We wouldn't enjoy that game. There were, there were certain rules that we followed in order for us to play the game to its maximum enjoyment. And any, any idea of, 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 of getting rid of certain rules would have been destructive to the enjoyment of the game. And what Jesus is saying in John 15 and what John is saying here in 1 John, the, the, the idea here is that our motivation is that we would have fellowship with God and one another. And Jesus says the best way to do that, the only way to do that, is for you to obey my commands, to love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus loved us by giving his life and shedding his blood. So, the maximum amount of joy that we can ever experience in this life is only going to come as we experience fellowship with Jesus Christ, fellowship with Him and with His Father, and alongside others whom Jesus has saved. In other words, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where maximum joy is going to come into our lives. Now that doesn't mean that we always just get up and and we're we're you know we always have a smile on our face. Joy is a deeper uh, experience. It's not an emotion. Happiness is more of an emotion. Uh, joy is a much deeper experience. And John is uh, is telling us what he has experienced so that we might have joy. He he wants his joy to be complete. And what he's saying in verse four there is that his joy is made complete when you and I join in with him. His joy is incomplete when people are not responding to the, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so if our motivation is going to be the same as John's in this case, uh, where our motivation is fellowship with God and one another, then the same way that John was was committed, uh, persecuted for his faith, and, and, and died in exile for his faith, and uh, um, blessed us with this sacrifice of, of writing down these things because of his faith. If, if, if that's his motivation, then our motivation also should be for the building up and the edification and the encouragement of the people of God. If you are not committed to the fellowship, and I don't mean first Sunday lunch, which is a place in which we can experience some measure of fellowship. That, that's just one idea. Uh, but, but if you are not committed to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, then your joy will not be complete. And so for your own sake, be dedicated. To the fellowship, just as they were in Acts 2, that we were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread, and, and to the fellowship. That we would be devoted to that. Um, so that's our motivation. Uh, Ed Moore, who is a, a mentor of mine, he's the pastor of North Shore Baptist Church, he says, A joyless Christian is at best a bad advertisement. Christianity, And, of course, we're not into marketing and, and advertisement, but, but he says, at best, a joyless Christian is a bad advertisement for Christianity. And at worst, is an offense to God. See, our lack of joy is like that check engine light on the dash that says something's wrong. Now, you might go through seasons where you're not experiencing joy. You don't feel satisfaction and contentment in life. And, and, and that is characteristic of Christians as well as non-Christians. There may be times where we are not ready to get out of bed. 
We are not excited about going to bed. You know, we, we can't sleep. We can't think. We, we're having a, a, a season of maybe of doubts, of worries. Those, those things do happen in our lives. But, but the point is that there is a check engine light on your dash. If you're not experiencing joy, and, and maybe there's been years of, of, of not experiencing joy, then there is a check engine light. You need to analyze that. You need to take that into the shop. And what is the shop? It's, it's the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the church. Be in proximity and in fellowship with God and with one another and address that problem. Because at best, a joyless Christian is a bad advertisement for Christianity. And at worst, it's an offense to God. So check your motivation. Check why you're here check whether or not you are joyful. That you are happy in the Lord. And again, not just a bubbly you know, everything just rolls off my back, but, but a deep abiding joy that we have in knowing Christ. So we come to our declaration that God is light. So John says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in it's interesting that in the Gospel of John and in the letters of John, John says God is something three times. And in the Gospel, he says God is spirit. In 1 John, he says it twice. He says God is, as we read here, God is light. But then in 1 John 4, 8, he says God is love. The one who does not love does not know God because God is Love. And so in 1 John specifically, John draws out two attributes of God with this phrase, God is light, God is love. And so through God's light, and in fact it's interesting, I, I don't know if John was thinking of this when he wrote this, but certainly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is light shows up before God is love. And I don't want to make too big a deal about that. I don't know, again, if, if that was John's, uh, if that was what he was doing by doing that. But, but it's interesting to me that you and I, we want the love of God, don't we? Oh, man, I love God's love. God's love is great, and that's absolutely, amen. But we can't get God's love, and we can't know the love of God, and we can't experience the love of God apart from the light of God. Amen. And so our uh, declaration, and John's declaration to us, and our declaration, if we truly are followers of Jesus, is that God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. In other words, God is shedding light on his world, and he's exposing the deeds of darkness. You can't walk with God and have fellowship with the darkness. He says in John, Gospel again, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. In other words, he came into the Jewish people, the, the Israelite nation. He came through them and to them, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will. In other words, those are all natural ways that someone is born. But instead, born of God. Born of God. So that was the light. The light stepped into the darkness, and the darkness pushed back against the light because the darkness didn't want the light. In fact, John 3, 19 through 21, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Praise God. But, the pe but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds 
will be exposed. What if we took every conversation, every thought? I won't do this to you. What if we did that for me and put all of those thoughts, all of those deeds, and just expose them right here, right now? Get a new pastor. Get a new pastor. <laughs> you know, that, and, and, and here's the thing, is Jesus knows your heart. He knows what you've thought. He knows your deeds. And let me finish the, the, the sentence here. It says, the deeds will be exposed, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So, so the question here is, are you, though you may still have sins, though you may still have wicked thoughts, though you may have uh, disobedience in your life, are you in the process of coming into the light? Do you desire to be in the light where God is? Or would you rather be in the darkness where the world is? No light. So, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in, dark. in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's amazing that Jesus would say things like this. I am the light of the world. What, what is he claiming? Well, Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my light. Of whom should I be afraid? Jesus is saying that even though I am a human in the flesh, I am the light of the world. I am eternal life, offering myself for you. So our declaration to you is that God is light. And so our evaluation of our life is, what do you think? Do you have joy in your life? Are you experiencing fellowship with brothers and sisters? Are you experiencing fellowship with Jesus? Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? Do you have that joy that is deep and, and lasting? And then our evaluation here is not only do you have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, not only do you have joy in your life, and not only are you coming into the light, are you abandoning the works of the darkness and the deeds that are evil and, and coming into the light where God is, is present and where he is, uh, is exposing those deeds for you to, uh, to, to work on, for him to work on in your life. But also, I guess to sum all of that up is, are you walking in the light? That's kind of an expression that is often used in Scripture. This idea of walking is, is this idea of relationship. That you walk with someone you're in relationship with. Um, and so as we look at our evaluation, it's not necessarily that we're taking a test. Do I have joy? Do I have fellowship? Do I have this? No, this is, a, this is not a self-evaluation. The evaluation that John gives here in verses 6 and 7, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So I don't know if you've taken a test recently, maybe a driver's test. Maybe a class uh, in a university or a college or, or you've, you've taken a, some kind of a test. Uh, it's been a while since I took any kind of test. But, but the good news is that this test is an open book exam. I don't know if you've had tests where it's like you, you, you get that test and you're like, oh, good, multiple choice. <laughs> you know? Or, oh, good. True or false? Or like, oh no, it's an essay answer. I mean, you know, I'm going to have to do some real writing here. Um, you know, we all have different types of tests that we look at and we think, well, this is a good test or this is a bad test. But the good thing about this test that we're going to take this morning by looking at this text is that it's an open book test. We can open the Word of God and let, uh, and, and again, it's not that I'm taking it as a self-evaluation, it's that 
the, the text is evaluating me. Do, do you see the difference? It's not that I'm taking the test. It's that the text, God, is evaluating me. Am I walking in the light? The other good thing about this test is not only that it's an open book exam, but thankfully, if this morning you feel as though you are not passing the test, I don't have fellowship. I don't have joy. I, I don't. I don't. I don't experience these things. I don't really know. Uh, you know, I know things about God, and I, I was baptized, or I, I claim to be a Christian, or whatever. But I just don't experience that fellowship with with others. I don't experience that fellowship with with Jesus. I don't have that union with Christ. The good news about this test is that. You can take it again. You can take it again. Open the book and let God evaluate you and expose the deepest parts of your life. And let him uh, reveal to you if you are truly walking in the light. It says in Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. So it's not just that we're looking at 1 John to understand the theological details of the person and work of Jesus. Of course, we see that he is both human and divine. We, we see that he did this work on the cross, and, and we read all those things, all those details. But it's not just that we would understand the person and work of Christ, but that we would have a personal relationship with Christ. That's what John wants us to experience. He doesn't want us to just know some things about God. For that matter, you know, I know a lot of things about our governor, for example. Uh, we know a lot of things about famous people. And, and we know those things because we can read, there's lots of things written about them, right? But I have never had Governor Cuomo in my home. I've never spent time with our governor. I've, I've never spent time with him. I don't know him. I, I know things about him, but I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. If you said, hey, governor, um, you know, Nathan Kreitz was telling me all things, of, uh, all these things about him. Uh, you know, what do you think about Nathan? Well, I don't know him. You know? There's no way. There's, there's no relationship there. Um, and, and so the point that John is making is, is as you submit yourself to this evaluation, maybe you have a broken fellowship with God and with others. And so maybe we're in need of something deeper. And so as we close this, this sermon, as we submit ourselves to further evaluation, I think 1 John is really going to be a continued evaluation of our lives. Do we really know Jesus? Are we really walking in the light? Are we experiencing that fellowship and that joy that comes in knowing him? And so uh, I, I want you to understand that if you received your evaluation this morning, as we looked especially at verses 6 and 7, if you received your evaluation and discovered that you are not, you are not in fellowship with Jesus and with his family, then the good news is you can take the exam again. Uh, now, of course, we, we want to share with you, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but you've taken the test today. And I'm telling you, I'm urging you before you leave this room that you settle this with the Lord, that you cry out to him and ask for forgiveness, that you would bring yourself into the light and ask him to cover those sins, that you would trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because the blood of Jesus, as it says in verse seven, covers and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if you have never been in fellowship with Jesus, and you've never been in fellowship with his family, that I want to encourage you today, submit yourself 
to the blood of Jesus. You can take the exam again and, and, and pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. That you would repent of your sins and trust in the shed blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But maybe you're in broken fellowship. Maybe you are a Christian. You've been in fellowship with Jesus, but maybe you're in a season of joylessness. You're in a time of brokenness. Maybe you've withdrawn from the, the local church. You know, your, your sins and your lying and your selfishness, and, you know, all of the sins that you're, that you're engaging in, they're putting up a wall between you and God and others in the church. Your sinful attitude has hindered your spiritual growth. I want to encourage you to take the test again. Look at John's motivation. Look at his declaration that God is light. And look at his foundation. And ask the Lord to once again renew that joy and that fellowship in you. And then finally, I want to, as a point of application, I just want to encourage you to be devoted to fellowship. It's the source of joy that Jesus has gifted to you, that, that we would have fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. And so I want to encourage you to take one step deeper into fellowship this week. And maybe, I don't know what that might look like for you personally, but maybe that's coming one hour earlier on Sundays. And experiencing the fellowship that we have as a part of Sunday school. That your kids can have with other children in Sunday school. That you as an adult can have as we uh, interact with, with the lesson and, and with each other and experience that. Maybe it's just a simple step. Maybe that's the first step you need to take is just come one hour earlier. And this isn't an advertisement for Sunday school. This is a plea with you that you would go one step deeper into fellowship. And maybe for you, that's Sunday school. But maybe for someone else, that's joining us on Wednesday night for prayer. We meet together every Wednesday at 7, and we pray. We pray for the church. We pray for the nations. We pray for our missionaries. And, and we experience fellowship through that um, because we're, we're, we're joining together with each other. So maybe it's Sunday school. Maybe it's Wednesday night for prayer. Or maybe it's signing up for life group. And once again, I'm not trying to push some sort of program on anybody. But, but what, I'm, what we're doing with life groups is the very thing that John is getting at is that we would go deeper with one another, that we would co be committed to one another in a deeper way. And I'm only encouraging you to take one deeper step. Maybe you already come every Sunday. Well, that's great, but take one step deeper into fellowship, out of isolation, out of self-centeredness, out of the darkness, out of the world, and step deeper into the light deeper into fellowship. And I think that as you do that, there's going to be a deeper sense of intimacy with Christ and fellowship with one another. So that's my encouragement to you this morning as we start this new series in 1 John, that we would experience the light and we would walk in the